Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. We've got a great show planned for you this week. It's 4th of July weekend, and in the spirit of American patriotism, we're going to be talking to one of the fastest rising stars in American tennis, Riley Opelka. Opelka is ranked 39th in the world, has two ATP titles, including the Delray Beach Open this year. We get into a lot about his career, moving from Michigan to Florida at a young age, getting into USTA at a time when business was booming with a lot of great American players, how he was able to separate himself, win Junior Wimbledon in 2015, turned pro, had some adversity to overcome, a bad case of mono in 2018, sidelined him, but best year of his career in 2019, building out it in 2020, who were the coaches, who were the influences behind that, what Opelka likes to do to work on his game, how he approaches the game tactically, and some thoughts on some other issues currently in the tennis world as well. It's a very fun interview with Riley Opelka. I'm sure you're going to like it here on the TC Live podcast. Let's start the show. All right, our guest on the TC Live podcast is a rising American star on the ATP Tour with two career titles, including the 2020 Delray Beach Open, currently ranked 39th in the world and at just 22 years of age. The future certainly appears to be bright. Please welcome to the show, Riley Opelka. Riley, thanks for joining. Yeah, of course. So we're going to get right into it. I want to get into uh, a lot of different things, uh, especially coming back to playing tennis now. We had the quarantine period. We're starting to see the cracks and in, in some daylight and finally getting back to the tennis season. And uh, your schedule's actually picked up pretty pretty thoroughly. You've had two events now about to start the Atlanta event after the exhibition in Miami. How is the process yep. of how's the process of picking a racket back up? Is the muscle memory there? Or are you having to kind of get back into tennis shape? What's that process been like for you? Well, I never really put the racket down, <laughs> um, so I, I took a couple weeks off uh, right when the quarantine hit, and then uh, right when COVID hit, and then. Um, but I was fortunate enough in Florida to safely train uh, for a lot of it, and then. Second home, I got a little burnt out. Uh, went to LA for a couple weeks, didn't play much. Um, came back to Florida, um, trained again, had another training block, and then played in Miami last week. Got Atlanta now, where uh, I'm actually pulling up to the courts as we speak. And then um, I, uh, I'm heading back to LA uh, after this, so I'm going to take some more time off and reset. Well, it's nice to see that we're starting to see some events, especially these American ones. And we actually talked to your, your roommate in quarantine, Tommy Paul, on this show uh, about two months ago. And he said it was good to be right. around another, you know, a fellow athlete that's going through the same thing. He also said it got a little heated uh, in the uh, quarantine house with you. You guys are competitive athletes, and uh, it showed in just about everything you guys did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, was, it was good. I mean, we, it was a good, uh, you know, like, like Tommy said, it, it could have been a lot worse. Um, you know, where we were in South Florida, um, we were able to train with each other, um, play some basketball, um, and that's just 
pretty much about it. <laughs> LA was nice though. Um, it really was. It was a nice way to reset and mm-hmm. hang out with Fritz a little bit. And, and I'm going to be doing the same as soon as this is over here in Atlanta. Was there a level of, uh, I know there's big, you know, bigger issues outside of tennis, but maybe a little more frustration for you. You come off that Delray Beach title. Uh, you're playing some really good tennis that you had to hit the pause button when, you know, the momentum's getting there and you're coming off your, your hands down best year as a pro. Yeah, I mean, it was it was okay. I mean, yeah, not necessarily just because of the momentum. Like you said, there's just bigger problems in the world that, that uh, we're missing out on. And just a, this is the craziest time. You know, I think any anyone's lived through, um, period, you know, yeah. uh, of, of our generation. And um, who's to say when this is – I don't really see an end to, mm-hmm. to COVID. I mean, you know, it's never – a vaccine's never been created in, in less than a year ever. And a lot of them haven't even had, you know, much success. I, I personally don't see much, uh, a near end to this. Um, and, and it's kind of crazy to think about. So I'm just kind of taking it day by day but yeah it, it is tough I mean I I was I did have some momentum going and I'm playing good tennis I've made a lot of improvements in my game um and uh you know it's nice for me to be able to come to Atlanta and, and practice them you know even though it's it's not quite the same you're not playing you know I'm not playing at the U.S. Open with some points in the line and whatnot yeah. but it's it's still going to be really competitive certainly should be uh and, and Riley just to kind of go back into your upbringing in the tennis world I mentioned uh from St. Joseph's Michigan moved to Palm Coast Florida at the age of four and really fell into that great time to be an American young you know tennis prodigy what USTA was doing the the talent boom uh probably as good as it's been in a long time and by all accounts you look at the players even nowadays that are making an impact on tour you were surrounded by talent everywhere you went and by all accounts you were kind of a late bloomer and, and really had to compete and earn to get on the level with some of these other players what was that yeah. experience like playing with so many other talented play- players that became friends you know Paul Fritz TFO Kozlov that experience and how it well, made you a better player well if you look at what the USTA did back then um it was pretty remarkable. Um, and you know, the program that they had got a lot of criticism from the outsiders, um, just because, Oh, we haven't had a slam winner or whatever, but things, programs like that take time. And and it's that, I mean, the, the concept that they had with us is over now. It doesn't exist. But, um, back in our day when Jay Berger and, and Patrick McEnroe were around, um, you know, they took their best guys. They, they they took their best three guys from each year and went all in. You know, some guys had to be cut, you know, or some guys were, um, you know, didn't make the cut. And, and that's that is that's, that's what it is. And uh, and then, you know, we had our, our group of guys and they went all in. We had all we had great resources. We we were we earned it. You know, there was times where, you know, I remember being a part of USTA where um, I wasn't working as hard. I wasn't performing as well. And, you know, I had to prove myself. I had to go back home I had to go put in work and and um get better to to earn my spot there because it's a huge honor you know um being able to be a part of the USTA player development back then with the great coaches and all the great resources that they provided us with so um you know it's it's really uh it was really interesting how, how they did it and I think it was I think it was really successful and um and I think that uh me Francis Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul have a lot be thankful for from the USDA. Yeah, you do have to be a little careful though with the back in my day because you're only 22 years old. You know, it's, it sounds a little yeah, but if you look at yourself, if, yeah. if you look at if you look at what it is, you know, it's, it's a lot different now in Lake yeah. Nona. That's all that for sure. 
Yeah, and I was going to ask you as well. You mentioned Jay Berger, the coach you're working with now. Uh, somebody else, you know, Tom Gullickson, who you work with, and credit for really bringing you up in the game, putting a racket in your hand. What, what was it like to have that influence? A guy who's worked with the greatest American tennis players ever was a Davis Cup champion or a captain, I should say. What was it like to work with him at a young age, and how crucial was that for your development? Yeah, Gully changed my life. I mean, he really did. Um, had my, my dad never really met him or us never – you know, been at the, the tennis courts at the same time, it, my life would be completely different. I wouldn't be here right now, that's for sure. So, um, you know, I'd say Goalie and Berger are the two guys I owe everything to, and, and I couldn't thank more. And um, they're some of the best coaches in tennis, some of the best minds I've I've ever been around in tennis. Um, Goalie's phenomenal. He's a great person. And uh, I couldn't have had a better mentor at a young age, and I, I really don't think I could have a better uh, mentor now with with uh, with Jay Berger and Riley in uh, 2015 you made that decision that you weren't going to go to college that you were going to you know take on the pro career you go to the Wimbledon Junior Championships as an unseated player now I know that if we watch you play you're, you're very competitive you take every match with an opportunity and belief that you're going to win it what was the expectation did you really go into Wimbledon thinking Junior Wimbledon thinking I can win this tournament which you ultimately did yeah yeah 100 percent I did um I uh, I knew the other juniors. I, I'd never traveled out. That was my – so the French Open uh, was the, the first trip out of the country ever for me. Wow. So um, that was my my first experience. I, and I would have been – I would have been seated for sure. I mean, every ITF I played, I was – you know, like Orange Bowl, I made semis. Eddie Hur, I, I, I won it, and I didn't lose a set. Um, so I was, I was good. You know, I was really good. And um, – and I, I knew the at the time my, my toughest competition was probably an American, you know. Uh, it was probably Fritz, who was one in the world. Tommy was 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 up there. He had just won the Junior French Open. So um, I knew that the best juniors in the world were the guys that I play with every day, and and um, and I, I beat a lot as well. And and I just didn't have the same amount of exposure. I didn't play the same amount of ITS. There was no. No point, really. I mean, I, I, I never understood the part of me traveling the world uh, for no money at 16 years old, playing in the middle of nowhere in South America for an event that gives me a few points in the juniors that doesn't doesn't do much for me. So, um, Berger, Jay Berger, actually kind of had that approach with me. That I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's it's, it's necessary for you with your style of play and kind of how you're gonna your game's gonna go. So. Um, that, I'm pretty thankful for that, to be honest, that, that we were, I had that insight from him where I didn't need to leave the country. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Riley Opelka here on the TC Live podcast. That's very forward thinking from you and your coach at a young age. And uh, I do want to mention with working with Jay Berger and, and your relationship with him, one of the things you've both acknowledged is that it, it's provided better advantages on the strategy front, working with him, having a blueprint, some clarity to win when you play at the pro level now. And one of the things I thought was yeah. interesting was, you know, you give him credit for, you know, take more chances You on your return of serve. You have such a service weapon that you should be playing more aggressive, playing more free tactically how big of an influence was working with Berger and, and 
and how have the results been as a result of that new free, you know, aggressive approach? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I remember when I, when I moved down to South Florida to start working with them in uh, December of 2017, I was a little lost with kind of my identity as, as who I was as a tennis player. Um, I was 240 in the world. Um, I was 19 years old. I, I'd, I'd already been up to almost 100 in the world. So things were kind of falling for me. And um, I didn't have, you know, I didn't really have the feeling of that the level I had then was a top 100 level and I just needed some more time. I mean, I went down there with, with the mindset that things had to change or else I would not make it in the top 100. And, um, and, and things changed. I mean, we, we made some significant adjustments that, you know, might not be as noticeable, but, um, you know, from, from the regular eye. But, but we, we changed so many different things with my serve, my forehand. We started off with my serve a lot. If you look at my percentages from prior to working with Burger, I was serving like 55% average on first serves in, and now it's 70%. Um, and we, uh, we've improved so many different things. My, my returns, one thing that we spend a lot of time working on right now. Um, and, and, you know, there's different approaches to everything, but I think, I think Berger's approach was, was spot on. You know, we, I remember we sat down and at a, at a restaurant the day I got down to South Florida and, and he said, I have a five year, you know, five to six year approach with you. I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting you to be playing your best tennis till, till 2022. So, uh, or later. Um, so that was, you know, he, he set that down right away and, and just said, I'm going to be patient. You know, I just need you to be patient. And, and I bought into his, uh, his mindset. And, and, um, you know, I think I've done a good job of incorporating everything he says on, onto the match court. Um, so yeah. good combo. Yeah. It seems like you laid the groundwork after, you know, you go, you turn pro in 2016, 2017 is a challenging year. You lay the groundwork. It seems like, you know, in that off season, hitting the gym, getting in better shape, working on your game. And I, I mean, looking on the outside, Riley, it looks like 2018 would have been the start of fruition and not, had it not been for catching mono, which you credit, like yeah. we caught it early. I mean, it could have been very bad if that dragged on. Uh, so you were able 100%. to hit that reset button and then, you know, hit the ground running in 2019. Yeah, mono, mono definitely delayed me. I was playing some really good tennis. Uh, I won that Bordeaux Challenger, and then and then French Open is when things started not to feel right, actually. And I went home, and I couldn't practice. I was dying, and then, you know, I kept playing. It's, it's funny. When you have mono, you feel like you're out of shape. So mm-hmm. the natural instinct of, of that as an athlete is, I, I feel like I'm tired. I'm out of shape. I need to go crush the gym and, and really start pushing myself. And that's the last thing you want to do when you have mono. So – like you said, I'm lucky I caught it early. Had I kept going and kept pushing through it, I could have really, really done some damage and, and really broke my body down. But uh, we we were smart. We were cautious. Um, that was a tough time. You know, that was where, again, Berger's mindset of just being patient was, was you know, really helpful for me. I was starting to lose patience right away. And, and that, that um, you know, having him in my corner during during that particular summer was, was critical. Um and uh, and we waited. I I came back, ended the year well, and then 2019 things kind of took off. Did it feel like it clicked um, in the Australian Open when you had that win over Isner, where it's like, okay, I'm at this level now? Uh, followed that up with the Long Island tournament, your first ATP title. When did you really start to see, okay, this is coming together? Um, I'm I'm really starting to turn the corner. Honestly, I I started feeling things clicking for me in in Bordeaux. Um, and, and even a little prior to Bordeaux in the, in the U.S. Challengers in 2018 on clay. That's where I started to find my serve. I started to find my game. Um, 
I was seeing how I was able to dominate guys and, and feel like I, I just wouldn't get broken. Um, and and that, that was at the challenger level. So obviously that helps. And then once I came back from, from Mono, I, I, uh, I was able to keep that, that mindset um, in, in, at, you know, to those last couple of challenges of the year. And I know it's just challengers, but the level's not that much different. I, I really started to feel the, you know, I felt everything click at, at the challengers, believe it or not. And then, um, yeah, I, you know, with my game, I don't notice as much of a difference in level. I, I could be playing a guy 50 in the world or a guy 200 in the world and, or 150 in the world, and it doesn't feel that much of a difference just because I'm, I'm holding serve yeah. over 92% of the time, regardless of who it is, unless it's, you know, Novak or, you know, one of those elite, elite returners. But even against Fognini and, and some of the top guys, I'm still holding serve every time. So um, my, my game trans- translated really well from the challenger level to the tour level, and I knew that even at the challenger level. Berger had always kind of installed that in my, in my head and convinced me that, that you can it's going to be an easy transition and, and it was and i mean not easy but but more simple than most and um and now we just you know our goal is to keep getting better and stay healthy i'm glad you brought that up too i mean your record against the top 10 is four and four and uh but those stats can yeah. always be misleading one way or the other too because you've got some wins over guys that eventually broke into the top 10 i also look at it on the flip side riley that some of those losses against the top players were three set long grueling matches. So the levels there, the consistencies there. I do I do want to ask you one question. You know, there's a stereotype that's kind of negative about bigger guys with their movement, um, but yours doesn't necessarily hold up. How how has that been? You know, a a practice point, something to work on. That you know, your court movement has improved. It definitely isn't the traditional big guy that lumbers around out there. How much uh, attention and uh, concentration do you put to working on your movement? I mean, I work on it a lot, but I'm fast, man. I'm I'm really fast. I mean, even like with Francis, Tommy, Fritz. I mean, we race each other off the court all the time. I'm not losing a 40 yard to anybody. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Any, it's, it's not even close. I mean, I can fly, you know. Like, but uh, but yeah. I mean, there's people. The, the tennis Twitter is so negative, especially the American fans. It's pretty pathetic, to be honest. It's quite, um, it's quite difficult being an American tennis player sometimes, and and you know, hearing some of the negativity we get is is shocking. You know, especially with some of the young guys just have some patience with us, but, um, you know, I get it all the time. You know, people with, with I the word servbot, which is like, I think is the dumbest term I think I've ever heard ever used in <laughs> yeah. tennis in my entire life. And it's just these, you know, pathetic tennis Twitter. They're not even employed to have like a, it, it's ridiculous. But anyway, um, I, I could make, I could make it look more pretty. I could, I could take 30 miles per hour off my serve and, and you know run a little bit more and chase down a few more balls and extend points by seven or eight more shots but i mean by that point they wouldn't even be able to watch me play i wouldn't even be in the top 150 um you know if i wanted it to look pretty i I could but it's just not you know same with same with isner me and isner practice and we have hitting up the middle we'll hit 100 balls in a row no problem like you know we're not it's not that we're, we're bad tennis players we're there's a reason why we do what we do, and, you know, it, it worked well for John, you know, whatever people want to say about him. He's, you know, had a pretty unbelievable career. Um, you know how miserable it is sometimes for, for a guy like Bautista Gut, who loves rhythm and loves to be able to play and loves to have long rallies and have, like, a few break points on me, and I hit five aces in a row, and then, you know, he goes to serve, and I miss four balls in a row or four returns, but I'm going for my shots, and yeah. then you know, come, come five all in the third, he's serving and he has not hit more than three balls in a row the whole match. And I, 
put a couple returns in, scrap a, a point here or there, and he has no rhythm. He makes an unforced error, double false, it's love 30, and next thing you know, it's a pressure moment. I mean, there's a reason why I play like I play, and and um, and there's no denying that, that it works, you know? I mean, right. look at Isner. Isner's been top 20 in the world for a decade straight. Um, yeah. there's only three other, there's only two other guys or three other guys active on tour that have done that. That's Roger Ross, and Novak. So there, there's a reason we do what we do. And, and there are similarities with our game as expected, but there's a lot of differences as well. Definitely. It works for the strategy side of it. And, uh, also, I mean, even the great ones can serve energy out there and it's not wise to just, you know, play that way all the time. Uh, Riley Opelka, TC live podcast. Uh, I did want to ask you a few more questions before I let you go. Uh, you're in the top 40 yep. now. It's been a it's it's been you know a, a quicker rise than a lot of players have going from turning pro to the challenger level. You you went from 99 to breaking into the top 40. Now currently at number 39 in the world. Has the perch changed for you as the view? And now that you're in the top 40, has your approach to the game played or, or how you see things maybe a little different? Because now you're getting entry main draw entry into a lot of tournaments that you would have had to qualify for. Yeah, I mean, now I'm pushing for a top 30 spot. I want to make sure I can be a seed at the at the Grand Slams. Um, that's where I. That's the only thing that's changed for me now. I'm, I really only care about the Slams. Not only care, but that's where I really want to make my runs. That's where I want to make sure I'm healthy. That's where I want to make sure I'm peaking from a physical standpoint, from a tennis standpoint. So I've been building my whole year, you know, obviously prior to, to COVID, but we we had plans. We we built our whole year around the Grand Slams to make sure we're peaking there and and um, playing some of my best tennis there. So, uh, you know, I assume when life turns back to normal, whenever that is, that's not going to change. And um, and that's kind of the mindset that I that I have and and I want to continue to have in terms of scheduling and um, tournaments. Well, we know the, the financials have changed for the better. That's always got to be nice, breaking into the top 40 and getting to that point. Uh, speaking of which, I do want to say, I, I read this about you, and I thought it was just another another great way of forward thinking. You, you've said even before you were you know highly ranked that you got to, with your size, and you got to fly business class because you'd best you'd yeah. necessarily be in the red, even if... Even if you even if you played more tournaments, you 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 would not be feeling great if you didn't fly business class. So that is a an expense an expense well worth it. Yeah, no, for sure, it's a must. And uh, you know, and another thing too, Riley, uh, we've seen that you as you've been been more noticed. I know tennis Twitter can be a negative place on, on certain sides, but you know, you're you're seeming to on the outside find your voice, being opinionative and, and giving your thoughts on things. Has that necessarily changed, or has that always been who you are? You're just now, you know, more famous. People are listening and seeing it more often. Yeah, that hasn't changed at all. That's just that's how it's always been. Um, yeah, that, that's how it's always been. Well, I think some of the issues too. I mean, that are worth speaking out on, like the U.S. Open situation. Uh, there's a lot of players that have a justifiable, you know, I'd say concern, gripe with the fact that the wild card process isn't transparent. And, you know, we'd like to see more Americans in there. Uh, I know especially, you know, certain players that we've we've talked to here. But uh, that's the one tournament where I think we're ready to see, you know, another American run. And it's good to see these Americans come up like Tommy Paul, Tiafo, yourself, Fritz. I think the U.S. Open yeah. could be that breeding ground. Yeah, U.S. Open could be. In terms of wild cards go, no one ever deserves a wild card, ever. You know, um, there have been times where, you know, I was playing and, and I've been completely, like, I don't. I don't want to get into. It. I'm not trying to call anyone out, but yeah, yeah, I, I've, yeah. ne I've never had a main draw wild card in the U.S. Open, um, and 
you look at like Bjorn Fratangelo has had four, uh, Harrison's had five, you know, guys that, you know, I've had Tim Smichek got one over me the last year. I was ranked higher than him. And I was 10 years younger, you know, like and at the end of the day, um, there was times where I was a little frustrated, like, come on, you know, yeah, <laughs> get, let's get yeah. some young guys in there. But, uh, I'd never had, I, which I, it is kind of interesting, but no one deserves a wild card. You know, at the end of the day, if I, I'm actually kind of proud to say that I've never had a wild card in the U.S. Open, um, and and I I got there completely off my own. I never one time took a a free entryway in any Grand Slam. Everyone I got in was off my ranking or I qualified. Um, so you know I do have some pride in that, but um, you know at the same time, I, no one no one deserves a wild card. I don't I don't really like to hear when when Americans in particular complain about them not getting a card or, or them not get, you didn't, you didn't make the cut, man. You know, like, yeah. I, I feel like that happens a lot in tennis. Um, you know, I know a lot of like the challenger players right now, it, it, it's a difficult time. I get it. And, you know, just about paychecks and, and whatnot and, and returning to tennis and how there's no qualities of the U S open. And, you know, I know a lot of those guys are upset, but that to me, I, I, I don't get either not to get too far into it, but, the, the qualifier, the guys that are in qualifying are getting a free $15,000 check. And then there's also a challenger going on that same week, you know? So the people that are the qualifiers that are against the U S open happening to me makes no sense. If I was 180 in the world and you know, someone's going to give me a free $15,000 check for not even showing up. And then I got to play a challenger that week as well. So I got whatever on top of that, whatever I'm making that challenger on top of the 15 grand, I, I would 100% take that. So I, I don't know. I, whole U.S. Open thing coming back, I know it's a controversial thing, and I know it's going to get ugly, and I know it's not going to be easy. Um, some of the viewpoints that some of the players have to me, I, I don't really see eye to eye with. Well, it's definitely good to have players speaking up. We know this process isn't perfect, and we know that this is a crazy time, which we, we alluded to. There's no perfect system, but uh, no, I think it's good to be you know sharing your opinions and just giving your honest assessment. It, I think the tennis world needs that. Other sports have athletes that, you know, share their opinions. And tennis, you know, has been slower to kind of produce those. Uh, Riley Opelka, this has been great. One last thing, I, I had to bring this up because on this podcast four months ago, uh, Jimmy Arias commented on a story he said was one of the funniest things he heard. It was actually in your match against John Isner in Atlanta. So I'm going to play this right now. Uh-huh. He played Isner in, in Atlanta. Yeah. And I was sitting in Isner's box because Dave McPherson's my buddy and and – and I happened to be at that tournament, and it was five six in the third. Obviously, three tie breaks they they played in that match. But he's serving at five six in the third, Opelka, and he at fifteen all he double faults twice to give Isner double match point. And he comes over to get his towel, and he's talking to himself, and all he's saying over and over again is, "I should have played team sports. I should have played team sports." <laughs> Um, That's great. Which I thought was hilarious. And then he got stepped to the line, hit two aces, and ended up winning that match. Had to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just point is there, you know, that's what it is. Like you uh it's always there's always high stress levels in that when you whenever you play against him. And that's essentially what I want guys to feel when they play against me as well. But I just say that like I was just saying that being being stupid, I say some pretty pretty dumb things in some intense moments of the match, but uh, it actually it helped, you know, I think in that case, yeah, I loosened up or whatever, and it worked out well. I can also find, I'm sure we can find matches where it didn't didn't end up with the same results after comments like that. So, uh, not something that I, I am necessarily always proud of, but 
you know, it, it, it happens. If you watch me play, you sit in anyone's box or you're sitting close to the court, you'll probably at some point hear some pretty absurd commentary from <laughs> I, me. I think that's safe to say. Riley Opelka, this was a blast. Uh, very last question. Was that Wimbledon match against Stan? Was that your favorite victory you've had on tour so far? 8-6 in the fifth? Um, yeah, that, that was definitely up there. Yeah, that, that was definitely up there. I, I liked, um, my match in, in, uh, in Delray against Yoshi was great as well. Cause I, you know, I probably, I mean, I played six sets that day, you know, three against Randwich in the morning and three against Yoshi in the afternoon. You know, that one, that one against Yoshi stands out cause I was pretty tired going onto the court playing against a guy that can tire anyone out. Stan at Wimbledon, Isner in Australia, obviously, uh, Fabio at the U.S. Open stands out. Those are just a couple that come to mind. All matches where you were pushed to the limit uh, and didn't back down. And, uh, yeah, having to go having to go deep with uh, a Grand Slam winner, especially Stan and, and, you know, the mainstay and not just American tennis, but on the tour in Isner. Uh, no, there's some, some sure. great memory. There's been some great moments, Riley. Uh, best of luck this weekend. Thanks for coming on the uh, TC Live podcast. No, it was Thank fun. you. It was fun. Appreciate it. And uh, remember, check yep. out the TC Live podcast, tennis.com slash podcast for this episode and more. Thanks again for listening. Riley Opelka, thanks for joining the TC Live podcast. Yep, thanks. Have a good one.